Thank you for joining our podcast from New Life Church Greenbrier. If you're joining us for the first time, we would love to know about it. Just text Greenbrier to 88000 and fill out one of our Connect cards. Now, let's listen in to today's message. So, hey, my name is Blake Polston. I am super happy to be here. Me and my lovely wife, Ashley, down there on the front row. Can you patch a wage for him, boo? Awesome. Hey, this is an amazing service uh, because I'm telling you, with the time change, this is beyond my wildest expectations or dreams. You guys are rocking and rolling, ready to go this Sunday morning in the house of the Lord. Can we get an amen on that? Well, man, we are super happy to be here. First, I want to give honor where honor's due. Uh, man, me and Tim, we actually went to school of ministry together. And so I've been knowing Tim and Shelly for a little bit. Uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Tim actually graduated top of the class school of ministry. And uh, that's how he won this campus. A lot of you guys don't know that. But, uh, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he does, though. He, he makes me want to be better. He's so spiritual. And I'm just in addiction recovery ministry. And so while he's talking about bringing in the presence of God, all I can think about is, man, I just hope they laugh at my jokes. Like, it's a, it's a real thing. And, uh, and so I just want to give honor to Tim, man. He loves you guys. And I'm telling you, whenever you guys are hurting, he hurts. Like, he genuinely feels it because I know that we've had a couple encounters with some people uh, that he's called me about and talked to me about. And, uh, and man, he really wants the best for you guys. But uh, like I said, Blake Polson, my, my wife and I were the executive directors of a ministry uh, called M18 Recovery. Uh, and M18 Recovery is, is literally, it's our addiction recovery ministry uh, that's located in downtown Little Rock. Uh, but even more than that is we are the proud parents of Blakely, Grace, and Bella K. Polston. Get my babies up on that big screen. Look at that, man. Bro, I am telling you, that is us to a T right there. Athletic wear at a national park. And uh, look, my wife, whenever we were dating, uh, she thought I was outdoorsy. No, I was just broke. Uh, and... and, and I, and, and, and national parks, man, they're free of charge. And so, like, we were on it, man. Uh, I, I'll never forget that courting time in our life. It was phenomenal. But what is M18 Recovery? Uh, M18 Recovery comes from the parable of the lost sheep, Matthew 18, 12. It says that if a man has 100 sheep and one of them wanders astray, will he not leave the 99 and go after the one? Uh, my wife and I, we felt called uh, into the ministry. Uh, we both have crazy addiction stories, and uh, we're going to share, or I'm going to share a little bit about that today. Tim actually asked me to, but in that, uh, I thought that after I got out of rehab that I was supposed to be a big people pastor, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, left, I left addiction in the past, and so I thought, that I was like, okay, cool, like, I'm not an addict anymore, like, now it's time to go pastor big people, and uh, so we, uh, we, we planted a campus in Mayflower, uh, loved it, loved the community, loved the people, um, but man, it, God just kept tugging us back into what we were called into, and that was addiction recovery. And, and I thought, you know, I don't want, like, addiction to just be my life, you know what I mean? Like, like I wanted to be known for something other than just being someone who doesn't use drugs. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, like, that's, that, how many people know that, that that's, like, not a strong aspiration, you know? It's like, hey, I'm the guy that owns a home, you know? You're like, all right, cool, like, what's up with that? Like, congratulations. But uh, nevertheless, man, God kept calling us and tugging us back into addiction recovery, and so we started M18 Recovery. And it's super cool. Uh, we launched in 2019. Since then, uh, we have had about 80 people go through the program. We've had about 30 of them graduate. Uh, but the coolest thing about being in downtown Little Rock is we actually get to baptize on the streets of Little Rock. Like, how stinking cool is that, man? Like, dragging out a baptism saying, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in the sweet name of Jesus. 
right there on the streets of Little Rock. Uh, one of the coolest little fun facts is out of the 30 people that we've actually graduated, about 65% of them showed up to a uh, graduate reunion that we had yesterday. And we got a picture of that as well, man. And like, I don't know if you guys know anything about addiction recovery, but that picture is a miracle in and of itself. Uh, it's phenomenal. But uh, in Jesus' name, man, we, we've got to help so many people overcome addiction, some of them right here uh, in this church today. And uh, show, show some of these pictures. I, I, I could do graduate testimonies all day, man. JJ Free. Uh, this dude, he spent 15 plus years in and out of incarceration. Uh, he reached out to us. And I mean, he had a kid, a daughter that was 18 years old. And he said, man, she's never going to talk to me again. The whole time he was worried about it. And uh, JJ, he went through the program. He became a devoted follower of Christ. Uh, he teaches uh, addiction recovery ministry at Wolf Street Foundation in Little Rock currently. Uh, he's actually going to marry uh, our uh, greater Little Rock uh, young adults pastor's sister. Uh, and the crazy thing is that she's battled her own demons, but her uh, husband died of a drug overdose. And so now not only is JJ getting to be the father of this little boy who would have been fatherless, but now he's also back in his daughter's life. And all of it is because of him coming to know Christ. <laughs> Go to the next one. Uh, this one's a cool story, man. We, we get to do this every day. We never get tired of this. Jacob, uh, we found Jacob incarcerated. Uh, he was in the PAC program in Lone Oak County. Uh, he'd never really had anyone teach him how to live life at all. He had uh, three different kids, three different women. I said, with a name like Jacob, man, it's biblical. You're going to have some baby mama drama. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, we, we just speak that into existence. But, uh, but nevertheless, man, he, uh, he, he done done great through the program. Uh, he ended up getting with, uh, back with the mother of one of his children, and they were about to get married, and uh, she died of a drug overdose, uh, leaving his kids without a mother. And, um, and then he ended up meeting Sierra, uh, who Ashley actually had a chance to disciple and, uh, and baptize. And uh, whenever it came time for them to uh, unite and wed, uh, Sierra, she had never knew Christ before in her life. And uh, she wanted to go back to the waterfall uh, that she got baptized at to do their wedding ceremony. And uh, Sierra had actually had a child that was removed from her life years earlier due to an addiction. But now she's got a husband and she's got three kids and they're going to encounter church in Hot Springs, man. And their life is phenomenal. Now, anybody recognize that dude? Yeah, Steve Antel, man. We got Jason's brother, the craziest story ever. Um, it was, he was one of our first residents. The, uh, the, the uh, Faulkner County the, um, prosecutor reached out to me. He said, hey, man, he said, can you get this guy put in a program? He didn't even know we had a program yet. And uh, I said, yeah, I think I could. I said, why? He said, man, he said, he is not going to make it in jail. He said, he is just not cut out for it. And uh, si simultaneously, uh, we, we Google it, because I mean, that's the first thing we do is we look on Facebook trying to get a little backstory. And uh, with Steve, uh, we found out that he had a brother uh, named Jason that was one of our campus uh, lay leaders at the time. And so we we were like, all right, cool, let, let's go for it. So I went and talked with Steve in jail, and uh, we, we arranged to get him out of jail. So check this out. He had already been sentenced to one year in jail, had no clue that anybody was even working on his behalf. And the prosecuting attorney, the one who had him locked up, was the one that got him released. Can we give God a big hallelujah in that? Because here's the thing, some people are locked up right now and they have no stinking clue that God is orchestrating a way to release them from the prison that they're in. 
because he is working behind the scenes. Steve ended up coming on staff. Uh, he was our first staff member ever, graduated the program. And uh, the craziest thing in the world is that dude found somebody to marry him. And, uh, and, and so that glory be to God in that, man. Uh, somebody at Heber Springs the other day, they said, how cool would it be to watch Jesus touch somebody's shriveled hand and it come to life? I said, shriveled hand? I said, I got a shriveled man. I was like, I was like I'll take your hand and I'll see you a whole person. You know what I mean? Like, but we get to watch God work every day. And I got one last one. And this is Blake Busby. Blake's here today, man. Uh, this dude, oh yeah, give it up for Blake, man. This dude was literally living with his grandma, drinking himself to death. And the craziest thing is he had been in jail and couldn't sleep. And we didn't know this at the time, but he had like a half an ounce of cotton that was in his ear. And he showed up for his interview and couldn't hear and was digging in his ear the whole time. You can see him in that suit jacket. He actually had showed up in that suit jacket and he was so drunk that the night before he had threw it in the washing machine, put laundry detergent on it, didn't wash it, grabbed it out of the washing machine the next morning, showed up in a suit jacket covered in laundry detergent for the interview. My wife goes, why are you sweating so much? He's like, I'm not sweating. Turns out he wasn't, it was tied. And so, and so then he comes into the program. His wife hadn't talked to him, didn't want anything to do with him. And now they're reconciled, they're back together, they're reunified. And I'm telling you, man, the miracles of God that we get to see on a daily basis are phenomenal. Why does all this matter? Because God is not a respecter of person. He is someone that wants to do this for you. Wherever you're at in your life, whatever problem that you have, whatever issue that you're facing, God wants a resurrection, right? Like God raised Lazarus from the dead. And whenever we start talking about Easter, God can raise you from death to life. It is amazing watching the power and the glory of God in work. But my wife and I, we're so thankful that we get to do what we do. Like I said, both of us, we have addictive backgrounds and past. Uh, we've actually got this right here. So we're going to leave this in your service loop and your run through. So if you guys need to get a hold of us, if you know someone that is struggling, please, by all means, reach out. This isn't a battle that you have to fight alone. My wife, she, uh, she was a horrible drug addict. She was an alcoholic and opiate addict uh, at 17 years old. She uh, hit a tree going 100 miles per hour um, after, while she was drunk and it crushed the entire right side of her body. Um, after that, she, you know, you'd think that that was enough to straighten somebody up, but it turns out that there's no amount of bad that can actually straighten you up. Did you know that? that it, it's only good that can straighten you up. It's not about what we can, what we can not do. It's about what we actually do because it's not until you walk in the spirit that you'll stop fulfilling the desires of the flesh. But Ashley, she uh, hit a tree going 100 miles per hour and, uh, it crushed the right side of her body. She ended up getting her own morphine pump and, uh, it wasn't enough, it just made her more addicted. And uh, she, she had a walker at 17 years old. Her right wrist was paralyzed. And uh, she would take her walker and she would have a little horn on it and she would go down the stairs the second that her parents would, were gone so that she could get more pills. Uh, but the craziest thing is her wrist was paralyzed and they told her she'd never have the use of it again. Uh, and then three days after she got the diagnosis, the Lord healed her wrist and now she's got fully functioning of it. And that was the moment in time that she realized God loved her. 
that moment. It was the horrible accident. It was a horrible paralysis, but that that allowed God to provide a miracle in her life that allowed her to believe in him in a very real way. And so some people right now, you're going through some things and you wonder why you're going through them, but I'm telling you right now, so the glory of God can be displayed in the circumstance or the situation so that you can come to know him in a very, very real way. Look, God is in the business of restoration. I'm telling you, we watch this all day, every day. One of the coolest things about our past is it actually equips us to do what it is that we're called to do today. I'm not here talking to you because I'm a gifted speaker or because I'm uber talented or because I'm ultra qualified or even because that I'm the purest person in heart that you've ever met. Why I'm here is because of how bad I was and how good he is, right? And that's the story that each and every one of us have whenever we come to know God. Tim asked me to share, man, a little bit of my story. And I usually don't share a lot because, like I said, I've got nine years clean. I celebrated nine years in February. And uh, since then, yeah, you can give it up for that. Give it up for God. But I usually don't share a whole lot of my story because it's not about me. But he specifically asked me to. And so uh, the shortest testimony I have is shot dope, didn't work out, found Christ, that did. Like, like that, that's it. Like, like, like that, that's exactly what happened, man. And, and I'll never forget because I, I actually got arrested in uh, 2013. I was manufacturing just about every chemical known to man. Uh, I, had, uh, I lived in a single wide trailer, needles everywhere, making counterfeit currency. Uh, I was making, I can name off 20 drugs that I was manufacturing. I had 50-something chemicals in my house. Uh, I synthesized most of them myself. And uh, I've lost the will to live. Uh, it, it was crazy. But Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, like Jesus rescued me. Uh, he uh, did it through the hands of the Sharp County Sheriff's Department. But uh, as uh, the, uh, my, my first day of sobriety, uh, the cops kicked in my door and, uh, and, and they said, hey, we need a warrant. We got a meth lab. Like they came in for counterfeit currency and got a bonus. And uh, so there, there I was, uh, absolutely hopeless. Uh, but the crazy thing is I, I actually told the DEA agent, I said, man, thank you. He looked at me and I said, thank you. I said, man, I said, I didn't know how to stop. I said, I was going to die. I, I said, I had no clue how to stop. And that was the first morning ever uh, that I had dedicated my life to Christ. Because in handcuffs that day, when I had nowhere else to go, I said, Lord, if you'll use me, I'm yours. And I meant it. Try getting on a plane like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I look like... I look like Saddam Hussein's love child. Like, I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, it, 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 and for someone who is such a raging extrovert as me, to, to ever let myself get in that condition and not, not be around people, it was one year of isolation uh, that I dedicated to learning how to manufacture drugs. And here's why. Because I wasn't where I thought that I should be in life. I turned 29 I had exhausted all my student loans, but didn't have a degree. I was supposed to be somebody, you know? Like I was supposed to be like an anesthesiologist or a chemical engineer or some of the other things that I was aiming for in life. But all I had was about 120 random college hours and things ranging from marketing all the way to, to biology. And, and, and I had $72,000 worth of student loans. Like that was the only thing that I had to show for anything. And I couldn't get back in school. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to make a bunch of drugs so that I could sell them so that I could pay off my student loans, so that I could get a college degree, so that I could get a good job, so that I could find a wife, so that we could get married, so that we could start a family, so that we could get in church, <laughs> right? 
No, I mean, like, like, like that was the plan. Like I had a very powerful encounter with God in 2004. And from 2004 up until I got arrested in 2013, I actually rededicated my life in three different New Life Church buildings across the state. I joke around and say they just didn't take. I, I don't know, you know. It, 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 it's that chasm between the altar and the door, man. Like, like, like from committing to it versus having the power in your life to actually execute it. Because here's the deal. Even the demons believe and tremble. So it wasn't until that I was in handcuffs that I asked for not just a savior, but I needed a Lord in my life. I needed somebody to follow. I needed the good shepherd to lead me and to guide me before anything ever happened. So Pastor Rick, uh, well, the day that I got out of uh, the jail, it uh, was Brian Tuggle. Uh, there's a man that uh, he's the director of a ministry called John 316 Ministries up in northeastern Arkansas. Some of you guys may be familiar with it. Some of you may be familiar with Renewal Ranch. Uh, Renewal Ranch, James Lloyd, uh, the director of it's actually a graduate of John 316. Well, the director of John 316 comes and he gets me out of jail. And uh, it's crazy because uh, he told the prosecuting attorney, he said, hey, he said, years ago, he said, Blake uh, was my stepson. Uh, he said, and I had opportunity to do Bible studies with him then. He said, and I didn't take advantage of it. He said, I'd like that chance now. And so with me dedicating my life to Christ in handcuffs and then God sending someone to come get me and then disciple me, I stayed there for two and a half years at John 3.16. I didn't think I was ever going to leave. But then Pastor Rick Bazette, man, he showed up. And uh, the last week I had put in my notice and I said, hey, I put in a nine-month notice. Like, who, who does that? And, uh, and Brian told me, he said, he said, no, he said, if you feel called to leave, he said, I feel called to release you. He said, go ahead and go. And, and being my family's ministry, uh, it was very difficult. I thought I was supposed to stay there forever, take it into the future. And so God had to send me a very clear sign. And so the man that I respected the most was the same pastor that I had rededicated my life three different times in the church that he had planted across the span of eight years came that week and, and told me that he wanted me to stay in touch with him. And uh, after he heard me speak, he said, my, my, he said, the hand of God is upon you. If he said, you could feel called to be a pastor, he said, I want to train you. And uh, from that moment, man, God is in the miracle business. I'm telling you, if you will submit your life to Christ and do what it takes in order to achieve what it is that God has placed in your heart, all things are possible. He really is. And uh, yeah, let's give it up for God. So I usually don't tell that much of my story, uh, but you know, Pastor Rick, he's a man that met somebody in rehab and allowed him to plant a church. So either he's a visionary or he's a lunatic. But in his defense, uh, it, uh, it, it panned out and I did have a haircut by the time we had met. So uh, that, that's, that's a benefit as well. But uh, what I wanna talk about today is something that everyone can, can, can apply. It's not just for the people that are addicted. Now, if you're addicted, I will tell you the number one thing that you need to know is uh, whenever I met the DEA agent that arrested me, I got a chance to do his niece's funeral. He said, what in the world? He said, okay, he, he said, you've gotta tell me. He said, I arrest people all the time. And he said, nobody changes like this. He said, what did you do that everyone else doesn't? I said, oh man, that's the easiest thing I've ever done. Uh, and, and he, you know, I'm all ears. Like he leans in. I said, you got to change one thing. Like, you know, he would have fell out of his chair. Like, he, he's like, what is that? And I said, everything. <laughs> like, that's it, man. Like, like, if you can successfully change everything in your life, then, then you can be successful. But it's whenever you try to hang on to anything. And scripture says that, man. Like, we have to die to ourselves, and we have to lose our life in order to gain the life that Christ has for us. Uh, they say in the uh, clinical setting that addiction is a disease of choice. 
So it's not like, is it a choice or is it a disease? Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I was locked alone in a trailer. You can think whatever you want, but the person that you saw, did he look sick compared to the person that I am today? Like, yes, is the answer. But what they say is they say it attacks your choice-making mechanism, like that you're diseased and like you no longer have the ability to make the choice for yourself. Like it, like it affects your decision-making process. Because I can remember, man, I was sitting there and, and, and I knew how broken I was. Like I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was absolutely destroyed. And uh, the, what, what really kind of accentuated it was I had this poster board that was in my room. And like I said, man, my whole house is riddled with needles. Praise God. Like I didn't have any children or any really family. I was isolated and alone. I can just think back at just the brokenness and the desperation. And I, I drew a bicep on like an arm and a bicep on this poster board. And, and I was so twisted. I was going to throw needles at it like as a game. And then I broke down in tears because I couldn't figure out how you win. I didn't know. Like, what am I doing to myself? But I couldn't get out of it. Like, even though that, that I knew what I was doing was killing me and I knew that I had the power to do something different and I believed in God and I knew he could save me, I didn't know how. Like, it wasn't until I finally got arrested that I realized, but all that to say is that if you're here today and you're struggling with addiction and you're a disease of choice and you don't have the ability to make rational thoughts and decisions on your own, the number one way I'm telling you to beat this, let somebody else make your decisions. That's it. Like, if you've got an infection of your choice-making mechanism, the best way to beat it is to allow someone else to make your decisions. That's what saved me. I submitted myself fully uh, to Brian Tuggle at John 316 Ministries in the discipleship process, and I was willing to do whatever he told me. Whether it made sense, whether it didn't, I was willing to do exactly what he told me. But one of the things I want to talk about today is that we all in this room, whether we're addicted or not, we have an unlimited amount of untapped potential. That's what someone locked up in addiction is, is there's somebody that is not operating within the potential. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, man, there's a lot of us here that whether we're bound up in addiction or not, but we're not actually operating at the highest capacity that God would have called us to. It's been said that your potential is God's gift to you. But what you do with it, that's your gift to God. So today I want to talk about the fundamentals of personal growth. And I'm telling you, there is no better time to start than today. And Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. If we are not careful, if we're not growing, we will have repeated the same year of life over and over and over again. Like we watch this time and time again. Have you ever met somebody that's been a Christian for 25 years, but they act like a baby Christian? It's because they're not growing. It's because they're repeating the same year of life over and over again. People that are sick and tired of where they're at in life, but they don't do anything to get out of it. Like they're, they're repeating the same year over and over. It's the definition of insanity. But the first thing that we do in order to grow, be intentional. Growth intentionality is one of the core components. This can save you so much effort, energy, and drama in your life. Growing intentionally as opposed to by happenstance or by force, right? Like some people have events in their life that force them to grow. Like they have a baby, they get a promotion at work, like they do these things that are all good things, but they, they, they force them to grow. But whenever we're dealing with people in addiction, 
90% of the time, the things that we're dealing with are what I like to call cataclysmic catalysts, all right? What is that? It's something in life that is so cataclysmic that it actually forces you to grow. The three big ones, divorce, incarceration, or death. So the threat of three of one of those things is what actually forces you to grow. But what I'm telling you is you don't have to wait for something like that to happen to start growing if you're intentional. Like if you need to put boundaries in your life before you actually have an affair, like that's growth. Put the boundaries there now. Study about boundaries before it's too late and you're in the, in the attorney's office. Like if your marriage is destroyed, if it's in shambles, like if you've got so much turmoil and chaos, like, like don't wait until that you're already picking up the phone, calling somebody, do something about it right now. Like that's intentionality and growth. You can avoid these cataclysmic catalysts in your life by intentionality. So one of the things that I think is very important for us to understand is that these cataclysmic catalysts that we have in life, some people, they, they, they want to say that, oh, yeah, of course everybody finds Jesus in jail, you know? True. But you can find Jesus in jail, right? That's where I found him. I was in handcuffs. But you can also leave him in jail if you choose to. And so one of the things that I want to challenge you is if you are experiencing or going through one of these cataclysmic catalysts in life, to don't focus on reconciling the situation, focus on becoming more like Christ. Because what will happen is you will be going through a, a marital discord and instead of trying to change yourself, you'll try to fix your marriage. Well, that's the wrong thing to do. Like your marriage will fix itself if you become more like Christ. Like that's what we all have to do. And so the cataclysmic catalyst is something that we can use for growth but we also have to be aware that we have to change ourselves in the process. All right, so the second thing is we have to develop a vision. One of my favorite quotes, man, is Zig Ziglar. He says, if you aim at nothing, you're gonna hit it every time. Like, what, what's your plan? Like, do you have vision for your life? In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there's no vision, people perish. It's like, where do you want to go and what do you want to do? Like, have you ever thought about that for your own life? Have you ever mapped it out? Uh, this dude named Greg Reed, uh, he actually says, a dream that is written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken down into steps becomes a plan. And a plan backed by action makes your dreams come true. Even says that in the Bible. Habakkuk 2.2, it says, Then the Lord answered to me and said, Write down the vision and inscribe it clearly on tablets so that one who reads it may run. Like, not only is it so important to write it down, but you should write it down detailed enough that someone else could execute it if they wanted to. This is how we're gonna change in life. This is how we're gonna grow. We have to have a plan or we're never going to move forward. The, uh, during the process though, I, what, I, what I challenge you to do is just manage your short-term expectations because people get frustrated, like they jump ship. Like life is not about what we can do in a short run, but what we can do over a long period of time. Like people sometimes are good at sprinting for three days, uh, but, but then after the three day sprint, they're like, eh, all right, I, I burn out, I give up. Life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. We have to remember that those who do not give up will reap a harvest of blessings in due time. And so never give up, set the plan and go for it, but don't burn yourself out. What you can do over a short period of time, I think people often underestimate or overestimate, but they greatly underestimate what God can do over a span of years. I challenge people, give God a decade, see what happens. I'm nine years in. I don't even know what God's gonna do in 10, right? Like it is the coolest thing ever getting to watch God work in life. So the third thing, prepare to sacrifice. 
there's things that we have to give up, right? Like we've been called to crucify ourselves daily, die to self. In order to grow, what are you willing to give up? Are you willing to give up the things that you watch on TV? Are you willing to give up the things that you listen to on the radio? This is the tough one. Are you willing to give up relationships that are pulling you in the wrong direction? See this all the time, people, places, and things, they're going to affect you, I promise. Whenever it comes time to, uh, to, to, to talk about what your exit strategy and what your game plan is, one, one of the things that always draw people back the quickest are friendships. Everyone in this room has got friendships that they need to upgrade, but then they also have friendships that they need to terminate, bottom line. Um, and it, what Jesus says is he tells you, he says uh, to count the cost. There, there, there will be costs associated. This is sacrificial. In Luke 14, 28 and 29, he says, but don't begin until you count the cost for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating it to see if there's money to finish. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone would laugh at you. I don't know why I always laugh at that, man, but something about the savior of the world telling people that people are gonna laugh at him. Like it, it just, it, it really, it really makes me chuckle. But sometimes I think that we get very comfortable just being us and like we never really wanna grow. Like we're just comfortable repeating the same thing over and over again. And so we just don't even want to do anything about it. Like we're just comfortable in our own misery and in our own existence. But like, I want to be a church, man, that, that knows the costs that are associated with growth, but we're willing to move forward anyway. Like, like we know that there's things that we're gonna have to do. There's, we know that there's things that we're gonna have to change, but we believe that it's better. Why? Eternity, right? Like eternity is in each and every one of our hearts. And, and scripture tells us to don't store our treasures up here on this earth, but store our treasures up in heaven. Do you know the one thing that we can store in heaven? Our friends, other people. Are we living a life that, like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Like, is that the life that we've chosen to live? Like, if someone imitated you, where would they be in life? Paul put a pretty strong, strong thing on that, man. He, he, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I just want all of us to know that God is in the business of blessing. He is in the resurrecting business, and it is absolutely worth it. John Maxwell, he said, you will not change your life until you change something you do every day. As simple as it sounds, we are going to have to change. Uh, one of the cool things that works about rehab so well and, and residential recovery is that it's like a greenhouse. With a greenhouse, there's optimal conditions for growth. It's so cool whenever you change everything at once. Like I told the DEA agent, if you can change everything, you'll grow. You can grow without changing everything. It's just a slower process. Residential recovery is one of the quickest ways to grow. We take them and we microwave them in four months time. Uh, and then we try our best uh, to, to keep them on a straight and narrow path uh, for an extended period of time so that they can catch their bearings on the outside. Uh, but it is so neat watching them grow in the short period of time. And the fourth thing, we've got to pause for rest and reflection. Like some people wear like a badge of honor for like a hundred hour work week. And they're like, oh, I'm so, you know, I, I work 14 hours a day, seven days a week, but they never actually stop to pause. One of the most important things about pausing for rest and reflection is it allows you to determine what things that you have in your life that are working and what things you have in your life that aren't, right? Like we have to rest and in Psalms, 127 too, it actually says it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. 
anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to the ones that he loves. God gives us rest. Rest is a good thing. We need rest. And I'm telling you right now, some people here are wearing a weight. They're wearing worry. They're wearing anxiety all upon themselves that would go away if you would take a break. Like if you would just rest, you don't need medication. You need a break. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people need medication, but <laughs> my, 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 myself probably included sometime. We've had our own battle with mental health, but there's nothing wrong with that. But some people do need a break. You need to rest, reflect, see what's happening in life. One of the key components that we have in growth is going to be self-evaluation. And uh, work is just like going to the gym. Some of you guys may or may not know this, but whenever you go to the gym, it's not the actual workout that grows your muscle. Whenever you go to the gym, you, you lift and you lift and you lift and you lift and you lift. And what that does is it actually breaks down the muscle fibers. And it's not until you rest that the muscle has time to grow back bigger and stronger. And a lot of us, we're just continually breaking down and breaking down and breaking down. And, and we're never allowing the muscle time to grow back stronger. I know that it's difficult, but sometimes we just have to be still and know that he's God, right? And there's actually a second part to this message that, that we all need to hear. And it, it, it's what happens if you're not the one that necessarily you feel needs to grow? What if you're walking alongside of someone that needs the miracle? That can be tough, man. Like day in, day out, you're, you're praying for them, but like you just don't see change and like you're just frustrated and you think that like if you leave little post-it notes of scriptures on their rearview mirror, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that, that it's gonna change them and, and, and like you're, you're, you know, constantly talking to them and like trying to convince them that they need to change and you're, you're putting up these boundaries in life and like, here's what I want you to know. It's not your responsibility for their growth. We've been called to be salt. We've been called to be light. But light, when it's too concentrated, it'll burn. Salt is good for flavor, but if you put too much of it, it's gonna cause disease, right? Some people can be extremely overbearing in the growth process of the ones they love the most. My wife and I, we, we've learned this. We've learned this the hard way for the first year that we were together, uh, it, it was turmoil. We were planning a church while dating. Don't do that. Like, just in, in, end of story, like just don't. Uh, but it, there was so much stress and strain in our relationship that at some point in time, we thought that the other one was our, was our enemy. But that's not true at all. Scripture says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against spirits and principalities. So our battle, it's not in the natural, it's in the supernatural. Whenever the Lord says, be still and know that I'm God, he's not telling you to not move. What he's telling you is where to fight your battles, right? Thank you for joining us today. If you made a decision for Christ or could use prayer for any area of your life, please let us know. All you have to do is text Greenbrier to 88,000 and click on Connect Card. 
Be sure to join us next week.